Hello and welcome to the podcast of tech.eu. I am your host, Andre Degler. I have got a great interview to play for you today that focuses on health tech and healthcare in Europe. Our editor, Robin Wouters, recently sat down with Johannes Schild, the CEO and co-founder of Cree. And this word is actually pronounced a little bit differently in Swedish, and you are going to hear it many times during the interview, but I am going to uh, butcher it throughout the episode, so I'm sorry for that. But in case you are not familiar with Cree, or Livy as it's known in the UK and France, it is a European telehealth unicorn that employs thousands of people across the continent. The company has been growing steadily over the past few years, so it is high time to hear firsthand from the person at the helm. Among other more serious perhaps things, we're actually also going to learn what the word Cree means by itself in Swedish and why the company did not just stick to one brand across all European countries. So let's listen to this one together. Hey, hey this is Robin Waters, founder of Tech.eu, and I'm joined here today remotely, of course, as usual, uh, by Johannes Schild. He is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Cree. They are based out of Sweden, and they are a digital healthcare company. Did I get everything right, Johannes? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah you, I think you did very well. I think you even, our our name is fairly hard to pronounce. I think that you pronunciation was fairly good, I would say. And yeah, I heard, <laughs> I heard you say it in preparation of this call, so I'm just copying you. All uh, right, Cree. yeah. Uh, but then you're you also for the listeners in France or the UK you're also known under a different name uh, Livy or Livy I don't know how you pronounce that one Yeah actually. we do we have Livy as a separate name and the reason behind that is just that it's impossible to pronounce Cree if you're not if you're not Swedish but in in, in Swedish Cree is a saying for being healthy so you can say Kriapode to wish someone to get better it's a very strong name here but yeah i didn't actually know that so the first minute in and i've already learned something about the company that's awesome yeah. uh, okay so we're gonna have a conversation about uh, your business i said you're a digital healthcare company but mm -hmm. what does that what does that actually mean what do you do as a company we do remote consultations with with clinicians so at core we are a tech and product company where we build a very strong infrastructure and a product for from the patient side to meet clinicians it could be psychologists nurses doctors and then on the clinician side we have you know great tools for them to deliver digital care at, at high quality at, at high efficiency uh, so that's what we do and then in five key geographies in europe we also operate healthcare ourselves so we we employ and train our own local clinicians and then we're also partnering with 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 third-party clinicians or other healthcare provisioning companies that, that can uh, use our services and tools to to deliver digital care to patients. So that's what we do. Um, my background is within tech and product, but my background is also being a patient. And since the day we started this company, we have always, we always asked ourselves, how do we create as much value as possible for the end consumer, the patient? Uh, and I think that approach have, have served us ex extremely well. And unfortunately, if you look into healthcare in general, I think there's there have been a, a lack of patient focus and, and on the healthcare delivery side for, for a long time. And I think from a patient perspective, you know, I've seen it myself. I think most people have sort of seen the struggle with just sort of in many markets, you're struggling with access of care and you have high quality of care in all European markets, but it's, uh, it's, uh, as I said, it's in, in many cases, it's sort of, it's sort of lacking a patient focus. And we just thought that it must be better ways of, of structuring this. Like, why should I? call a landline early in the morning and try to book an appointment with a clinician. Why couldn't I just solve this from the comfort of my home? And that's sort of the journey that we're on. We launched the first version of the service in, in March 2015. And by now we are the largest digital healthcare company in our space in, uh, in Europe, operating in five different markets, covering more than 100 million lives in, in, in Europe, but yeah, still very much getting, just getting started. Uh, but to simplify it, if you are in a market where we don't have access yet or we haven't released our services it's 
it's it's a it's a it's a primary healthcare clinic, but directly on your phone. Yeah, that's a good way to summarize it. I think um, it's interesting what you said about the uh, patient side of things because. You know, it's like education. We all have sort of our own firsthand experience with being a patient or being in school uh, when you're in education. So we all have opinions and we all have experience that sort of shape our our vision of what healthcare system is like in, in one's country, right? So, but, but maybe take me back six years ago when you started the company, actually a little bit more than six years ago when it, when it was launched. What was the landscape then? Was there already, was telehealth or digital consultation already a thing? It wasn't really. And that was the strange thing about it. When we started to look into it, like the sort of the core concept of what we do would be, yeah, that you can call it telemedicine, right? It's remote consultations with, with clinicians. And that's it's, it's an obvious concept, but it was not really around. And sort of already concept itself had been around for a really long time, but no one in Europe had managed to package it and scale it in a good way. Now a lot of things have changed during the last year, obviously, with a pandemic where it's just fast forward the whole digitalization of healthcare in, in general. But back then there were no one really doing it in, in, in Europe. There were a few companies in, in the US that we looked into. And it was very strange to us. Like we our first initial thought when looking into it like was why on earth has someone built this already? Because it's just you know, painfully obvious that this should be a part of any healthcare system. But then since then, quite a lot of things have changed in a, in a fairly short period of time. I can imagine. Um, I'm going to make a fairly educated guess that the reason that there weren't that many companies around six years ago was largely due to the regulation. It's advanced quite a lot over the last few years, I, I would imagine. But I, I imagine that those are also barriers to entry because every Europe being country sort of sort deals with these things differently and has different policies in yeah. place. Uh, what was it like six years ago compared to now in your view? No, I think on the, on the policy side and the regulatory side, a lot of things have changed. And I think that is true. That's probably one of the reasons why there haven't been more innovation in the space up until recently, because I think that's, you, know, you have had a lot of people that have been shying away from that kind of complexity. And uh, we have just sort of embraced that complexity. And, and from a consumer perspective and a patient perspective, what we do is, you know, looks fairly simple like it's it's easy to digest the service and you can sort of book consultations easily now you can obviously do more things you can you know renew prescriptions buy medicine etc but from, from knitting it all together it's, it's it's quite complex because you obviously need to have you know great clinicians on board you have to solve the payer side and payers of healthcare in Europe that is usually governments that is the largest payer of healthcare and that's you know you add the political element to it and you know it's very it's regulated there's a lot of compliance work etc but it's not something that's it's not it's not impossible obviously and in one way I think it's it's very rewarding also to you know solve complex problems versus you know easy problems but on the regulatory side when if you look back a few years or when we initially started in Sweden we realized there were no regulatory blockers really in providing healthcare in this way, but there were no reimbursement infrastructures. So there was no way to get paid for it really. And what we did initially was that we subsidized it ourselves for quite a long time just to sh show you know, the system and you know, the payers and, and all stakeholders that what we do is, is, is something that is good and drives value and people use it and you actually replace physical consultation by using it. And then we managed to push for for and create uh, the, the first digital reimbursement infrastructure in, in Europe, in, in, in Sweden. And since then, a lot of things have happened across Europe. I don't think right now, uh, there was a lot of regulatory blockers before. Uh, there's still regulatory hurdles in a lot of the European markets. But on the regulatory side, yeah, as you said, a lot of things have happened during the five, six years we have been in the industry. And, and it's also obviously have been accelerated uh, by a pandemic. I think that the, the underlying mega trend 
was obviously there long before the, the pandemic. And a lot of the big sort of policy changes in Europe have actually been implemented before the pandemic. But yeah, during 2020, it's sort of it's it's anchored. The pandemic have anchored it very well everywhere that what we do is will be a crucial part of of any healthcare system moving forward. Yeah. And we're going to come back to the to the COVID crisis in, in a minute because I also want to see how that changed things up operationally for you. But uh, maybe maybe to stick with the with the expansion uh, that you mentioned because we have a new section on the TechU website uh, that's uh, just gone live. I think last week uh, called Crossing Borders, where we talk a lot about this internationalization, uh, scaling companies across borders. Um, so I wanted to ask you when you when you set up the company in Sweden. I guess Sweden was your first sort of uh, home market uh, where you were operational in. Did you already have in plan uh, in your plans like a strategy to to go to other markets very quickly? Did you already do sort of basic research on where you would uh, would expand to first? Yeah, we it was an obvious one since we initially started. We said this is not a, like we would not build a Swedish company. We're going to build a European company. And then it was yeah you know, we, we started in Sweden uh, given that we you know, are based here. I'm 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 Swedish, uh, but we we spent a lot of time during the last you know, years to look into the different European markets. And uh, yeah, we started to to look into all the, the the larger European markets when we initially started to set up the company. And and then we have yeah said now we are. Now we are with full operations, meaning our own technology and our own healthcare operations. We now we're now in five five European markets. And if you look back when we initially started, a lot of those markets were impossible for us to access, given that you had regulatory blockers that you know now have slowly been removed in 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 most of Europe. Great. And when you when you sort of rank all these countries based on sort of accessibility, the ones you go to first. Uh, what are, what are some of the criteria that you take? Is it the, the, the way that the healthcare system works? Is it the size? Is it uh, <laughs> the adoption of digital tools in the first place? Yeah, I think like I said a lot of things have changed during the last year. But you know, if you look back, the first question we had to ask ourselves always have been like, first of all, is it legal to do it? Because that was not a given. Because in some markets you couldn't actually do it. Like you couldn't set a diagnose if you're not in the same room as the patient. So from a clinician side, you couldn't do it. So and the second question would be. Okay, how do we create a model around this? Like, how do we how do we get paid for for delivering our our tools and services? And um, you know, as I said in 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 it, it's, it, usually it's not the end consumer that is paying for it, or indirectly it is because you do it through your, your tax bills. But you have a public payer, or you have a, a larger private uh, insurance company. So you have to sort of that you also have to understand like how can we actually you know build. Uh, a functional business around what we do, and then obviously, as you also mentioned, you look into sort of the maturity of uh, of the market. Is there sort of is there any underlying existing infrastructure where you can use on e prescriptions, for example? Like you know, in many cases, um, doctors need to prescribe, need to write a prescription, and in Sweden, there's a fairly well built system that we can use nationwide to do e prescriptions. And in France, there were nothing when we initially launched, but we built that ourselves in two weeks and that works and we scale it nationwide. So, but obviously if there is sort of underlying infrastructure that we could use that's beneficial for us, but it's not really a blocker. But compared to a lot of other industries, it's, it's quite a lot of work, you know, figuring out the different markets and part of what we do is very scalable on the tech and product side is very scalable, but 
on, on the payer side, it's obviously a differences and a difference between addressing the national healthcare services in the U, in the UK versus addressing the residents of Sweden uh, versus you know the public payers of France, etc. Or a private payer or going directly to to consumer, and we do all of it. Like we on the on the on the payer side, we're agnostic. We don't really care who's paying for it, but our end game have always been to make sure that as many Europeans can access our services and have great access to digital healthcare. And then like, you obviously also have to you know address the, the really large payers of, of, of healthcare in Europe, that is the, the public systems. And that is the difference, obviously, if you look into the US companies where they mainly target you know, private insurance and employers. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we do so, that as well. But um, but uh, now I said the, the, the large payer in Europe is is usually at the public systems and different system in Europe for sure. Uh, even when you do that basic research, you enter a market. What what are some of the the biggest surprises that you sort of encountered along the way, even even after launching in a, in a new market? <laughs> the biggest surprises. Well, it's a good question. I think there's there's definitely also cultural differences on how you view healthcare, how you uh, consume healthcare. In, in Sweden, we started off, I think Sweden, there's a, there's a huge accessibility problem. And you see that in a lot of European markets where you have a lot of inequalities when it comes to access, sort of meaning where you live or who you are, plays a very big role on how easily you could access access care. Uh, but what sort of surprises us, I'm not sure, but I think there's, there, there is definitely <laughs> sort of cultural differences on how you, how you view healthcare, how often you use it. Some of that is based around regulations as well. So in some markets, you, like you literally need a, a doctor certificate to um, join a sports club. Like if you want to start to <laughs> play table tennis, like you need a certificate. And I, those kind of things also, you know, it's, it's, it is differences, um, just cultural differences on, on, on how you, on how you consume healthcare. Um, but a lot of the challenges are the same across Europe where you have, you know, high quality of care. You have highly skilled individuals and highly skilled clinicians, but it's an, it's a, it's an inefficiency problem within the system that leads to inequalities in access. I think in France, they have a, they have a term, they call it medical deserts. I think it's, it's a really good term where you have sort of big areas in the market where you have limited or no access to, to healthcare, to physical healthcare. Um, and that is one thing that we obviously solve in a very efficient way to give more people better access to, to, to care. Great. Um, stick on this topic for just one more question. Um, we already mentioned in the beginning you have uh, Livy in France and UK, uh, Cree in the other markets. This is something I've always wondered when you launch in these markets. It's already quite difficult to build a brand and to market a new company uh, in whatever space you are. Uh, doesn't it make it extra hard to have to <laughs> sort of have to a market two brands? <laughs> Aren't yeah. you making life difficult for yourself? Yeah, no, we definitely are. Yeah, we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are. I think, I know, I, I, as I said, Kili is a very strong brand in some of the markets that we're in. And, and I think our initial thought was actually to have highly localized names in the different markets, uh, because what we do is, it's a trust business. Healthcare is, there's a lot of trust involved in it. And, you know, Kili in Sweden, as I said, it's the same for being healthy. It's a, it's a word that now people mostly connect with our brand, but, you know, you know the word before and it's a sort of it's a very positive meaning with it and our initial thought if you really sort of look look back when we were like had zero team and it was just sort of you know some notes on a paper was that 
let's go with or highly localized names uh so have no separate names in all the different markets but now we have now we run to you and it adds a bit of complexity yes but on the other hand you know it's the same look and feel it's the same same assets and i think it also you know if 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 i'm a swede i'm swedish and if i'm traveled somewhere else and i, I need help if i'm abroad i you know likely would also prefer to to see a uh, a Swedish clinician. So I think it's some ways it's maybe sort of less important for us to have sort of a, a strong pan-European name. Then, although I'm very interested in sort of the long-term thing would obviously be to also create a, create a pan-European system because what we do now and within the market is that we are highly efficiently scaling or pooling resources within a market as, as uh, most markets are sort of divided into districts or, or regions and sort of the healthcare systems tend to be very, very localized. And that sort of makes sense in a physical setting, but it doesn't make any sense in a digital setting, given that healthcare doesn't really have borders at all. And what we do within markets is that we scale resources within the market. But you know, mid or long term, you can also envision a, a solution where you're starting to pool resources between European markets. And that would be beautiful because then you would create a lot of even more efficiencies sort of across Europe, and then it might be more important to have to have sort of one brand rule and more. But but yeah, it uh, it does add a bit of bit of bit of complexity, and it does add a bit of complexity that our sort of main name is is more or less impossible to pronounce if you're yeah. if you're not Swedish. But yeah, we have managed fairly well. Great answer. Um, so speaking of scaling, you guys recently raised uh, or closed quite a quite a sizable investment round, I would say, uh, $300 million to, to help you scale. Uh, from what I've read, it's also going to be used for, you know, strategic acquisitions. Uh, my guess is that that's the organic sort of uh, way to break into new markets, or, or am I getting this completely wrong? It could be. It could also be those strong product companies that are, that are solving things. That could be a sort of a part of our platform. Um, as I, we, we are very clear about we will not solve everything ourselves. Like we also are very happy to partner with others, and we do that in in all your all markets that we're in. You know, we're partnering with with physical healthcare, and we're partnering with specialized care. We're partnering with laboratories and pharmacies, etc. And we're also very happy to partner with sort of product companies that have solved sort of specific things or have been sort of very good at at at. Yes, solving specific symptoms or you know, doing treatment plans for specific treatments or whatever it can be, and and then you know there also you know, we're constantly looking into to potential acquisitions, and that could be that could be both accelerating our sort of market access and markets that we currently do not access, and it could also be about broadening our product quicker. We'll keep an eye out for for any announcements on that front. So now maybe let's talk about the, the COVID crisis, right? So if you go back to February, March 2020, as you mentioned, this trend was already on, underway: uh, telemedicine, digital tools for clinicians and patients alike. But of course, it's been accelerated uh, quite a lot because of the crisis. And I think I read somewhere that you delivered 1.5 million video consultations uh, last year alone. What is it like now? Now that we're sort of at the at the end of the the crisis, or at least some light at the end of the tunnel. How do you see this going forward? Is this a trend that is no, there's no stopping, or is it going to only accelerate further? I think it will definitely continue to accelerate. It's just one of those things. Like once you tried use us, like why would you go back to the alternative? Because the alternative in most markets is literally calling that landline early in the morning and try to hassle for a time slot and you get a time slot days yeah, or weeks later. Please, please launch yeah. in Belgium very quickly. Exactly. Like why would you, <laughs> if you 
if you do, if you are, if you're a market where you can use Kadir or Libby, like you just download it, you answer a few questions, you within a, within minutes you will you know, see one of our clinicians, and you in most cases you just get it solved, right? So, so I think what have happened during during last year is that way more patients have sort of experienced this for the first time, and we we see that you know people you know, have a high stickiness. Those sort of early courts stay, and they continue to to use it all sort of outside of a pandemic. And same on the clinician side, where you now have a lot more clinicians that have sort of experienced digital care for the first time, and and many of them have used very basic tools, and that is one of the reasons why we are now putting more effort and also being more generous with with the tools that we have have built and being sort of a better partner for 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 individual clinicians or clinics or sort of uh, other provisioning companies that want to they want to deliver more digital digital care and then can think they can or we're happy to you know lend them our tools to do so. Uh, but I think it's it's definitely as I said, like the trend was already there before the pandemic. Sort of what they've done is they've anchored it very well and it's accelerated it. And it's yeah, it's 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 no way back really. And then from a system perspective, we we, we can't just sort of maintain the current. If you look into the primary care in general in Europe, you have median age for for the for the GPs that work in the system is very high. You will have a lot of a lot of a lot of doctors will retire in the coming years. It's hard to sort of renew. To renew that, like it's starting to be very obvious from from also from a, from a government paid perspective that you can't just continue to support a rather ill-functional existing system. You actually have to create something new, and digital is a part of that solution. So it definitely stayed, and I think we, you know, last year was obviously an extreme. You have very high volatility on the on the demand side, and especially in the sort of lockdown markets where you had sort of peaks where no one really could deliver it except ourselves, and then you have this strange dynamic in in Europe, and now. Probably the rest of the world is that actually healthcare usage is at an all-time low uh, because in general people are fairly healthy because you don't see anyone. <laughs> so and what happens if you put a full population in lockdown is that you know all disease stop spreading, right? Uh, so you have the strange dynamic last twelve months or you no know, more than that where you have you know we are now big upward trend and you no know, telemedicine in general is not big upward trend, but healthcare usage is actually at an all-time low. So I think, yeah, yeah we actually, definitely I think this will continue to accelerate. I never considered that, but that's actually a really good point. Uh, how has it changed things internally, though? Because on in an operational level, I guess in Sweden, things were a bit different than, than most of Europe. But did it have a big effect on, on the way that you worked with your team? Uh, yeah, we have been uh, fully remote since you know, February last year, or uh, more or less fully remote. Uh, so I think it, it, it worked very well. Like I think it's, it's also... Like, we have obviously been on the right side of a global pandemic and we early on we just said to ourselves let's do everything we possibly can to be as helpful as possible and we have shipped a lot of great things like we have been shipping free versions of our tools that anyone could use to start to go to digital we have been taking a deep responsibility on testing and vaccination in in some of our markets we have been doing you know home monitoring for people that have been tested positive etc so we have been doing a lot of things and we have also onboarded an awful lot of great clinicians and 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 and, and team members in a, in a very fast pace in a fully remote setting but i yeah i think it's it has worked very well, most definitely, and you know we have offices in five European markets, so we are you now distributed anyhow. And then personally, I obviously you know miss seeing people in three dimensions, and but yeah, it, it's it has it have worked very well, and I think it's this sort of distributed way of work. And it's no way going back. Like we have 
our policies that people can work from anywhere. I think I, I truly believe that great people can work from anywhere. And that as core our service, sort of the product that we are building is also a sort of a remote remote service, right? So so we should be really good at it and we and we are. Um and how many people do you have on the payroll today? I think we are roughly a thousand people in non-clinical roles, and then we employ what could be two thousand clinicians or so. So we have I think we hired bit more than 400 people during last year, excluding uh, clinicians, sort of in, oh. in product and tech and marketing. And it's quite, quite, and quite a pace, quite a pace. Um, and I was going to actually ask you to elaborate a little bit on the product side for the tools that you're building for clinicians, because obviously that's not something the patient usually sees. How do I need to understand what you're building for whom and, and what are the needs and, and how are they different in like the different markets that you operate? Yeah. Um, yeah, but there's obviously two sides of the platform, right? Like it's a strong consumer front end, and it's also you know, great tools for clinicians uh, for them to you know, do telemedicine. Then our ambition have not really been about removing the clinician out of the equation. It's more been about giving them superpowers to do more and better care. We still think that from a from a, from a product perspective, from a consumer perspective, it's great value of actually be able to see a human being when you're in and in need of help and i think we sort of we're still very far from completely removing the clinician out of the equation and just you know replacing her with a with with a machine but we we are focusing a lot on making sure that the clinicians can be as efficient as possible and removing a lot of the administrative tasks from their, their schedules so they can spend more time with patients and less time with with administrative work then we have spent a lot of time also in on on the matching side on matching in healthcare, you have a highest inefficiency because what you constantly have is that you have sort of junior doctors trying to treat severe things and vice versa. And a simple example, just just languages like we have in Sweden, our doctors speak more than thirty different languages. And if if you're in Sweden and your native language is Arabic, you'll probably rather speak to someone that actually speaks your language. Uh, and you know. There's a lot of clinicians out there that are, are you know, most of our clinicians are bilingual or trilingual, but it's, you know, it's a matching problem. The physical, uh, physical healthcare, it's a matching problem. They're not there at the same time as the patient. And we can very efficiently sort of match the right kind of clinician with the right type of, of patient that could be based on seniority. It could be based on profession, obviously. Is this a, is this a nurse? Is this a psychologist? Is this a, a doctor? Is this a specialized doctor or not? Like if we, believe that you know you need a doctor to treat this patient fully like why should we triage you through a nurse practitioner for example or if you don't if you really think that you know you actually don't need to have a a doctor looking into this this could be solved by a nurse why not we obviously should match you directly to a nurse and same with mental health i guess maybe this patient should go directly to a psychologist and not be sort of not triaged between a nurse and a doctor and then go and then get a referral to a psychologist. So we spent a lot of lot of effort there in making sure that sort of the matching side works very well. And then we're building you know, tools around you know, prescriptions, quality assurance, matching as mentioned. So there's a, a, a lot of depth now in the, in, the, in the clinician tool. And then obviously you need to customize that slightly for, uh, between the different, different markets, given that you need to sort of dock into existing legacy systems and and those are different between the different markets but yeah that's that's what we do yeah you you managed to pull this off for the second time but you brought me seamlessly to my next question that i had was about this mental health um has that become a much bigger part of of your offering because of the pandemic and and how does that work how is it different from like your yeah. traditional physical health care 
Yeah, unfortunately, it is an upward trend everywhere. So we have a very strong mental health offering in our first market in Sweden, and we're now putting more effort in also scaling that into the other markets. So that's, that's an obvious part of, of, of what we do, and we are investing now to being even better at it and, and releasing better treatment plans on the mental health side. But yeah, unfortunately, it is on a steep upward trend in, in all European markets. And correlated with the pandemic, you have had a lot of people that have been very isolated for quite some time, and that's just not great for, for mental health. It's not. Great. So we're almost at half an hour, so I'm going to wrap it up. But I wanted to really ask you uh, maybe a weird question, but what is something about Cree, Cree <laughs> that most people don't know or that has never sort of been talked about? <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a tough question. What is the Cree that people do not know? It's probably a lot of things. I what jumps out? What is some, some of the most uh, people that get, would get surprised when they know? I can, tell, I can tell you one story. and I, I bought a domain from, from a lovely lady called Birgitta Kry, because Kry is also, it's not a common name, but there's people named Kry as their, as their last name. So back in 2013, I, I reached out to Birgitta Kry, who owned the domain Kry.se. That is our first, first domain. And she was about to retire. She was running a small agency and she was about to retire. And that's sort of the starting point we require that we have never met her in person but you know we're friends on on facebook and she she hearts everything i i post right. about, about Chris, i think that's an amazing story please, please tell me you paid her with with equity instead of cash we didn't uh we, no, we, we paid with cash i tried to i tried to tr initially i tried to trade it for for something else because once upon a time i bought an american domain for five kilos of swedish candy so i, I initially and this was sort of like we haven't we hadn't really we hadn't set up the company we didn't raise any funds so there was not a lot of funds really uh so i think i initially tried to to trade it for something uh but i ended up acquiring it but uh yeah i still send her flowers on her birthday that's fantastic so. i really love the story i'm so happy i asked the question uh all right johannes we're going to wrap it up this was uh, incredibly insightful I'm, I'm very happy to have learned uh, a lot more about your business uh, and i wish you all the best of luck uh, with the rest of the company likewise good to be here and this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are always very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andrew Degler, and I will talk to you again next week. For now, take care and enjoy the great weather. Bye-bye.